The following sermon is by Dr. Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Josh. Have you ever been going through your house? Maybe you went through some old boxes where you were rummaging through some drawers and you found an old picture of yourself, a picture from another decade. And you thought, why did I dress like that? (laughs) Why did I do my hair like that? And the answer, of course, is because you were influenced by something or someone that you were watching that you thought at the time was very, very cool. We're all influenced, easily influenced. We're molded and shaped by things that we find influential. Now, I'm not much of an internet denizen, um, so there's a lot about social media that I don't understand. And I just learned this month that there's a career called being a fitness influencer. I don't know what that means. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know what that means. Do you take pictures of yourself walking? Apparently you can, and you can receive advertising money for doing so. But even for someone like me who doesn't understand the internet very well, I've learned that, um, from what I read anyway, brands will pay you money to not so subtly snap pictures of yourself using their product and then showing it to many eyeballs because they know that we're all influenced. So there are things we see, there are things we notice in other people's lives that we want to be shaped by. And in fact, we are shaped in ways that are subtle that we don't even realize we're being shaped. You're in Philippians 2, that's the passage we're going to look at today. Jump ahead just to chapter 3, okay? We're not going to park there. But I need to show you where Paul is going so you understand chapter 2. Philippians 3, look in verse 17. Notice he writes, join brothers in imitating me. All right, this is Philippians 3, verse 17. Are you there? Brothers, join in imitating me. So Paul is saying you should imitate me. Here's an influence I want you to be influenced by. And not just me. The verse continues. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So there are people who should influence you. There are people worthy of imitation. But there are also people who will influence you very poorly. Look in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. You can go go back to Philippians 2. That's where we're going to spend this morning's sermon, verses 19 through 30 of Philippians 2. But we needed chapter 3 to see why 2 is here. He's going to show us examples of two people worthy of imitation because they show us a life that is actually well lived. The two people in today's passage are Timothy and Epaphroditus. In fact, at the end of chapter 2, we read in verse 29, to honor men like this. People of honor, people of imitation. Now, in a world of lots of bad models to imitate, (laughs) our ears should perk up when we read, here's a good example. Here's an example worth imitating. This means especially all of us in this room today, particularly those of us who are desirous of pleasing the Lord, need to be very intentional about what imitations and what influences we allow to shape us. There's an implication then. Who is currently influencing you? 
who is currently influencing you. Let me start with one very provocative (laughs) example. Have you noticed the difference your choice of news source will make in your life over time? This is such a provocative example. Notice how quiet the room just got. (laughs) If I start naming names, I'll notice which bodies fidget. Do you like Fox? Do you like CNN? Do you like MSNBC? Do you like NPR? Do you read the New York Times, Guardian, The Atlantic, The Huffington Post, The National Review, The Wall Street Journal? Those are all pretty different, and I can see who's fidgeting right now. (laughs) You see, the choice that you make, not only does it say things about you, it will shape you over time. The influence you choose will drastically shape your life goals and direction. Who is influencing you? Okay, who should be? Who should be influencing you? I'm gonna give you two tools of assessment today. If you're a note taker, I would write down these two because all the other notes that I gave you, these two aren't on there. Here are the two tools of assessment. The first is concern, and the second is costly commitment. These are the two tools by which you can assess whether or not something is a good influence for you. The first tool, concern. What are they most concerned about? And the second, costly commitment. What will they risk things for? What what reward do they think is worth a risk? All right, let's go back to the provocative example of news. Have you noticed that different news companies will report the same event completely differently? From the headline alone, you would think they're referring to totally different events, but they're referring to the same event. Why are they referring to the same event so differently? Because of the two tools of assessment, they have different concerns and they have different commitments that they're willing to risk for. And did you know that their different concerns and commitments will shape what you're concerned about and what you're committed to? You see, we are all influenced. The question is, what is worthy of our influence? What, who or what has the proper concern and who or what will make costly commitments for things worth committing to? This is true not just of news, this is true of people, this is true of you, this is true of me. We all have concerns and commitments and we shape people around us. So today's sermon is about gospel-centered lives that are worthy of honor and imitation. And we're going to see two, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Timothy is an example of proper concern and Epaphroditus is an example of proper costly commitments. All right, those are the two tools and these are the two examples we have in the text. All right, let's begin in verse 19 of Philippians chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you so that I may be cheered by news of you. I want Timothy to go and hear news about you. But there's another reason I'm sending Timothy because I want you to learn from Timothy. Now notice verse 20. This is number one on the notes, by the way. Gospel centered living, selfless concern for Christ church. Verse 20 For I have no one like him. So I want you to learn from his example because he is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now, if if you've been with us for a couple of weeks, you know that that phrase probably sounds familiar because in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, it said, esteem others as more highly than yourself. Have a concern for them that's higher than you. Paul says, I have no one else like Timothy. I've had the privilege over years of writing college recommendations, references for students that are on their way to apply at a 
university. And sometimes you can choose whether or not that right is private or whether you waive the right so they can read what you wrote about them. How cool is it that here we have in divine scripture what Paul thought of Timothy? Imagine if in divine scripture someone was writing a review about you. I mean, can you imagine hearing this? I have no one else like this guy. (laughs) This is fantastic. He is unlike really almost everybody else he knows. How? Because he's genuinely concerned for your welfare. But not just because he loves you, but because he loves someone more than you. Look in verse 21. He's genuinely concerned about your welfare, which is unique for all people tend to seek their own interests. But notice he seeks the interest of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to have genuine concern for someone else? It means not just to love them for their own sake, but to love them because you love what Jesus wants for them. If you love someone else just for their sake, There's a ceiling to that that causes your love to not go as far as it could. Um, Imagine, for example, someone who is bedridden because of maybe a harmful addiction that they have. Let's picture it's a food addiction. And, And so they're bedridden and they can't get out of food. And they scream and they yell for someone to bring them more of the very thing that has put them in the position they're in. And you come and and you give it to them. And they say, oh, thank you. I love you so much. I'm so glad you did this. And then you leave the room and they consume what you brought them. And then they're miserable. And then they curse you. I hate them for doing this for me. I need to get out of this situation. But they keep doing the exact thing that has me in this situation. You see, they're mad at you because you love them most. They would respect you if you loved something more then you love them. That would cause you to love them correctly. See, actually, we love each other best when we love Christ most. In this passage, we read, there's no one like Timothy, not because he loves people more than him. A lot of people are humanitarian in their disposition. They care about other people. But he loves other people because his concerns are the concerns, verse 21, of Jesus Christ. Now, we shouldn't be surprised of this as Christians because remember, when they came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? He said to first, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And second, and the order really matters, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. Therefore, we love each other best and we love God most. Timothy is an example of how to really love because he knows how to love someone well because he'll put the concerns of Christ first and therefore he'll have a proper interest in their needs. In fact, Timothy has proven this over time. Look in verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth. The word there is dokame, which, which would be well translated character. Some translations translate it character. So you know Timothy's character over time. How as a son with a father, he's served with me in the gospel. Notice his concern is for them, but it's a concern that's for Christ, and it's a concern that's curtailed by the contours of the gospel. So I care about you by caring about Christ and caring about what he has died to do in your life, caring about the gospel. Verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. What Paul's referring to there is remember Paul is in a prison, most likely in Rome, because he dared to say that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. So Paul is saying, I'll send Timothy to you, but first I want to know whether or not I'm going to be executed or 
released. Once we figure that out, I'll send Timothy. So verse 24, I love Paul's confidence in what God can do. I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. So I believe God will release me, but I'm going to wait till that news and then I'll send Timothy. All right, don't forget the two tools of assessment we have to know what is worthy of being influenced by. The first was concern. If I'm reading the news and they have very different leads, (laughs) headlines, which one should I read? Well, what are they most concerned about? How do I know what a good concern is? Are they concerned about what Jesus is concerned about? This is why Timothy is a good example. He's an example of Christ-like concern. He's most concerned about what Jesus is concerned about. But now we're going to read an example of the second tool of assessment. What costly commitment would they make? What are they worth risking? What do they consider so valuable that they would risk things for it? I'm going to have integrity here. I don't care what the cost is because, or what do they think? No, I'm never going to let this go. This means everything to me. All right, Epaphroditus. So now number two on your handout. Gospel-centered living. Selfless perseverance to risk your life for Christ's work. Now verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my knee. My dad retired a few years ago from the United States postal system. And so he's so mad at me whenever I send an email. (laughs) Son, can't you buy a stamp and float my pension? (laughs) Yes, I will try. Now, don't don't forget, in this day and age, not only do they exist before Instagram and before uh, Internet, they existed before even the corded phone, they existed before even the Pony Express. So if you wanted to know how somebody else was doing, there was only one way to do it. You couldn't even write a letter. The letter of Philippians was carried by Epaphroditus to the church. You had to have a messenger. You had to have someone get on a boat or a camel and spend months to get somewhere. And the journey was always dangerous. Very likely this is how Epaphroditus became ill. So verse 25 tells us he's a messenger. A messenger that did two things. He would carry a message from the church and he would retrieve a message from Paul, but it wasn't just that he carried mail, he would carry daily needs and necessities. Prison in Paul's day did not work like prison in our day. Prison in our day has certain amenities that comes with it. Prison in Paul's day, Rome's attitude was, we're not going to pay for you to live. So if you're in jail, we don't give you food, we don't give you clothes, we don't give you anything. We throw you in there, and if you die, that costs us less money. So when Paul was in jail in Rome, unless Epaphroditus brings him food and clothing, he dies. So Epaphroditus is there to sustain his life. That's why he's called a minister to my need. Do you see that in verse 25? So not just is he a messenger, he's also a minister to Paul's need. But it goes deeper than that. Sometimes people help us, but we're not close with them. But see, it's more than that with Paul and Epaphroditus. Look in verse 25. Not only is he a messenger and a minister, he's a brother and a fellow, and he uses the word fellow twice. We might use the English word friend. Epaphroditus has become more than someone who just brought me some stuff. Epaphroditus is my brother in the Lord, and he's my friend. The church of Philippi sent him to spare my life. And Epaphroditus has come to do something necessary. But now, even though Paul could still use his help, he's going to send him back. And this is where we learn insight into costly commitments and concern. Remember the two tools of assessment. So look now in verse 25. 
But I think it is necessary to send back to you. To send back to you. Verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and distressed because you heard that he was ill. I've had several friends serve in the military and they had years in Afghanistan or Iraq. And for a long time, we didn't know how they were doing. And we couldn't hear updates about them. Think perhaps in your own life when you have a relative who lives in an area where there's a hurricane and you don't know whether or not they're okay. Most of the time for us, we can still get that information fairly expeditiously back and forth. But in Paul's day, if the people found out that Epaphroditus is sick, it could take months before they find out whether or not he recovered. You might be thinking, wait, how would they find out he's sick? It's because they would travel in a caravan to get to Paul. So probably at some point in the caravan, Epaphroditus became very ill, and the others came back to Philippi. And they told Philippi, Epaphroditus looks like he's going to die, and we don't know whether or not he's going to. And now Epaphroditus is concerned that they find out he's okay. Look at verse 26 again. This is why he's going back. Because he longs for his church to know he's okay. Do you know how much he cares about his church? You know the word distress there? It's a Greek word only used twice in the Bible. Do you know the only other time it's used is when Jesus is praying in the garden in Gethsemane. It's the strongest term you could use in Greek for empathy you have for someone else. This is how much he loves his local church back in Philippi. I don't want them to be worried as to whether or not I've died. I want them to know I'm okay. Have you ever felt that strongly for a church? For your church? For our church? In our individualistic, consumer-driven day, very few people ever do. There's not a body of people that they care for so much. I just want them to know that everything's okay. I don't want them to be worried. I want them to know their prayers are being answered. There's certainly an insight for us here about the importance of community. Look, in a day and age in which church has become a consumer clickable good, don't forget, church is intended to be a place where you're known and where people know you. It's supposed to be a community this close that they would know that one of their members is sick and nearly died and that he would care for them to know that he's okay. So this is the first reason Paul sent him back to let him know that they're okay. But now we're going to read more in verses 27 and 28. Indeed, he was ill. He was near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but on me also. I think I have to pause on several phrases here. First, let me pause on the phrase, God had mercy on him. Brothers and sisters, do you know that health and life is a gift that we are not entitled to? It is a gift that we are not entitled to. Recently, I was speaking to someone who was talking about how unfair their life is and how miserable it is and how God had not been good to them. And I reminded them, you're alive today. <laughs> the sun is shining today. God sent his son from heaven for you. And all of that is mercy. It's actually not even grace. Those are different terms. It's mercy. Do you know how they're different? Grace means God gives you something good that you don't have any claim to. It's undeserved. Hence, it's grace. Mercy means God withholds a punishment you actually do deserve. What's the punishment we all deserve since Adam and Eve? Death. 
Romans 5, death has passed upon all men for all have sinned. Therefore, for God to extend your life is a mercy. He withholds what we actually deserve. It changes the way we pray when we understand that an extra day is a mercy God is not entitled to give me, but a mercy he can graciously grant. So here in verse 27, God has mercy on Epaphroditus, extending his life. Epaphroditus had done nothing sinful. He got sick doing something good, and yet still it's a mercy to continue to live. But it's also a mercy on Paul. Have you ever prayed for someone to keep living because if they were gone, it would hurt you so much? This is what Paul is referring to here. This is a prayer that my wife and I have prayed many times on many occasions. Lord, I know I don't deserve this. I know you've been so good to me, but I pray that you would answer this thing to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. My heart would ache greatly if this came to pass. You have the right to let it come to pass, but if you would extend it to spare me sorrow upon sorrow, I ask that you would. Verse 28, here's the second reason he's sending him. I am more eager to send him, therefore, so that you may rejoice at seeing him And I love the last part. And so that I may be less anxious. So I want you to see him again so you can rejoice and so I can relax (laughs) to know that everybody knows that Epaphroditus is okay. So here's the reason that he's being sent. But now we learn something about his character. All right, so the two reasons I was asking us, the two tools of assessment, how do you know something should be influencing you? First, does it have proper concern like Timothy? for the concerns of Jesus Christ. Second, what costly commitments will it make? And here's where Epaphroditus most teaches us that. Now pick up in verse 29. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What is worth risking your life for? When is it appropriate to risk your life? I have a very active imagination, and so here's how I vividly pictured this this week. Imagine I had three people that I was allowed to conversate with to determine whether or not something is a worthwhile risk. We'll say the first is my Allstate agent. The second is my medical doctor. And the third, I have a vivid imagination, is that God in heaven assigned me an actuary science angel. Okay, you with me? (laughs) So I have an all-state agent, a medical doctor, and an actuary science angel who assesses risk for me. And I go to them and I say, I really am thinking about doing this thing. I think it's a worthwhile thing. But there is some risk involved. And the all-state agent says, no, I don't think you should do that. We don't really want to insure that. The medical doctor says, well, there is a slight risk, and I can't in good conscience commend this option to you. And then the actuary science angel looks at me and quotes Jesus from John 12, verse 24. Truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls off and dies, it does not bear forth much fruit. For whoever would love his life loses it, and whoever will hate his life for my sake will keep it for eternal life. Okay, apparently they differ. (laughs) So I go to them a second time. This is a good thing. It's a worthwhile thing, but there is some risk. Allstate, no. Medical doctor, no. Angel, again, he quotes Jesus. This time, Matthew 25. 
It's the parable of the talents. Remember the man who had one talent, what he did with it? He buried it in the ground. And then Jesus says to him this, take the talent from the one who buried it and give it to the one who has 10. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. I dare to do it a third time. Allstate, no. Medical doctor, no. Angel, this time he taps Paul, who's been in heaven for a couple thousand years. Paul comes over and says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Are you saying, right now you're thinking, pastor, are you promoting recklessness? No, because I ask my children to look both ways before we cross the street. But am I promoting gospel, faith-filled risk? Absolutely. I pray that though my children see me being careful about not being reckless, I pray more so that over the years they will say, you know, my dad was willing to risk his life, to risk his comforts for the gospel. Christian, what are you willing to risk Epaphroditus shows us that there's something worth risking. Would you risk your life for him who did not risk his life but voluntarily gave his life and bore your sin in his body on the cross? Epaphroditus shows us the second tool of assessment. What is worth being influenced by? Someone who equivocates or someone who will die for something worth dying for? Be influenced by those who will die for a cause bigger than this life. Who will give their life for something of eternal value. So we shouldn't be reckless. We should love our neighbors. We should be prudent. We should be careful. But if our plan is to avoid all risk in life, then perhaps it's because we've made an idol out of our comfort. Rather than recognizing the transcendent value of eternal things. You see, all state... And the medical doctor won't assess risk the same way heaven will. Because they don't have the same values. Epaphroditus risked his life and had extraordinary results. Here's what I love about Epaphroditus. These are the only verses he's in the entire Bible. Many of us read the Bible and think, I'm not Paul. I mean, he does things that are crazy. I would never do that. But see, the reason Paul is still alive to write Philippians is because Epaphroditus risked his life. There are all sorts of ordinary things that Christians do in calculated risk that produce extraordinary results. Epaphroditus is one of them. He shows us risk. All right, here are the two tools of assessment. What should I let influence me? The first tool, what concerns do they have? The second tool, what commitments and costly commitments will they make? And whenever you forget how to assess those aright, remember the truth of the gospel itself. You see, concern and costly commitments are from the very character of God. For God so loved the world, his concern, even though the world is so bad, that he sent his only one-of-a-kind son a commitment as costly as it could possibly be so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. An extraordinary commitment with an eternal result. I love verse 17. 
For God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. Now don't miss the words, might be. Jesus gave up everything so that you could be saved, but brother, sister, friend, listener today, you are not saved until you believe in him. In fact, verse 18 goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him is condemned already. Why leave here today? Why leave this video today being condemned when Christ in concern for you and in the most costly commitment to you came so that you could be saved? Believe in him. But if you're a Christian and you're trying to assess what should influence me, What's worth risking? What should I let go of? And you're not sure, start by looking at the cross. Here's how much concern God has for the lost world. Here's how costly of a commitment God made for the lost world. Let that then guide and govern how I consider risk in my own life. How we consider what is worth giving something for. You see, as Americans who have become used to comfort, we live very differently than Paul and Epaphroditus. For most of our lifetimes, if someone went to the hospital, they got better and they came back. In most of human history, it didn't work like that. If Epaphroditus got sick, you let him go. You've read family trees from before the 1600s. You've seen them. They have 10 children, 12 children, two or three live into old age. See, we live in such a different time that for us the temptation is to think Epaphroditus was off his rocker. <laughs> Who would risk like that? Why would anyone give that up? And so as Americans who are so used to comfort, we're not sure we want to do anything that might incur stress or demands or curtail our autonomy or put at risk anything we've spent much time gathering and relying on. But here's a gospel-centered life worth honoring and imitating. One that puts the concern of Christ above all and therefore has a proper concern for others like Timothy. One who will make the costliest commitment for the sake of the gospel to go forward because that's the very character of God himself. Let's close in prayer this morning. God, I thank you that you have concern for sinners and that your concern was not without action or cost. Indeed, as humans, we cannot even fathom the cost that you had when you watched your unique one-of-a-kind son suffer for our sin on the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you so loved the world that you gave at great personal cost your only son. And that you gave him so that we need not perish or be condemned, but couldn't have eternal life through faith in Jesus. Lord, I pray for anyone hearing this today, that they would not leave condemned, but leave saved because they believe in Jesus alone. But Lord, I pray for us as Christians. We're being influenced by the news sources we choose. We're being influenced by the media accounts we follow. We're being influenced by the people we talk to. And there is so much noise on throughout the day. May we be influenced by lives that you hold up in Scripture as worthy of imitation. Paul could say, imitate me. Not because he's perfect, 
But because Philippians 3 goes on to say, because he presses on towards the goal, the upward call of Christ Jesus. So Lord, we look at Timothy, who knew how to put the first concern first. We look at Epaphroditus, who would risk his own life. Lord, align our concerns with those of Jesus. And align the cost and commitment we would make with the cost we see at the cross. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You've been listening to Josh Scally, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcraleigh.com. That's ebcraleigh.com.